Hey there, welcome to How to Write a Novel with a lot of uh, background insect noise. I'm still in Montreal and the heat wave passed, so that's nice, but man, I miss that beach that I would go to in Vancouver. Like, once I finally found that place, which, like I said, I believe I mentioned, it's just like a super rare thing that I found this one place in a city in Burnaby where people almost never were. Like, that just doesn't happen, you know? I had to go down a mountain and over a train line through a train yard thing to this, like, weird deserted beach. But it was so awesome because there was no one there, you know? I could just talk to myself. <laughs> there was no one in the way. Where now that I'm back in a city, and I mean, Montreal is a fairly unpopulated city. Like, that's one thing I like about it is you they're into big buildings. I don't know what it is about Montreal, but most buildings are much, much bigger than they need to be. Like, they're really into it, especially like churches, I guess, are the big example. And it's really beautiful and awesome. But just anything, just like a second cup, you know, like a coffee shop, it's enormous. And it'll have a big second floor and just like everything is bigger than it needs to be and generally empty. Like, unless it is exactly noon, places aren't busy. But that being said, there's still people everywhere. Like I'm in Agrenon Park, which is a beautiful park, but there's just kind of people everywhere. So I managed to find this place where I wandered over to the side near the uh, chorus of fucking insects. And I think I can get a little, a little recording in without people being everywhere. I mean, they're still everywhere. <laughs> you know, I can see 20 people right now, but they're away from me. So just wanted to do a little update uh, about writing. So I was talking in some earlier episodes about the idea of, I mean, obviously my big mantra that I stick with all the time and I still fully endorse and believe in is just the work a little every day. It doesn't matter how much work you do, it's just that you do do work. I heard it described somewhere as a, it's better to have a process than a goal. Because if you have a goal, it's like, that's just an albatross. It's just a weight hanging around your neck and it's just like, oh, I didn't get to my goal. And you never feel like you're working hard enough and you shame yourself because you haven't reached your goal. And then what happens when you reach the goal? I mean, then you just pick a new goal. Like, it's just not a, a good headspace to be in. Where a process, I mean, that's all life is, is a fucking process. So just alter your process. Just, uh, Make your daily routine involve working on whatever you're supposed to work on and just in the course of living, you'll just make stuff and you'll never stop and you just keep going. Actually, I'm reading uh, Penn Jillette's book about how he lost a ton of weight on this potato diet where he only ate potatoes for fucking three months as a way to reboot himself into eating better. But he described life as it's just one long meal with intermittent other activities. And I was like, dude, that's actually pretty true. That's a good way to describe life. I mean, yeah, you just, you get up, you have something to eat, you fuck around for a little while, you have something to eat, you dick around, you have something to eat, you go to bed, you have something to eat. <laughs> that's all it is. So if couched within that routine, you can include working on writing, then you're golden. So uh, what I was talking about earlier was, you know, I had the one novel. I'm just focused on the one thing, this one project. And I just got to make sure I work on it every day in some capacity, and eventually I'll get to the end. 
And I talked about the idea of expanding that to working on more than one thing. And I've managed to do that this summer. Not at, you know, there was a certain cost, I guess, because I am working less on the main novel. I've split my time between three projects this summer. And the amount that I work on the main novel, I mean, it was very small a lot of times anyway over the previous winter. But, like, really small now. Now it might literally be, like, a little, just a paragraph or something. Like, just very small amounts. But I don't think that was necessarily just because I've started splitting my attention. It's because it's just been this heat wave thing. This, this, the heat of summer and just the doldrums of it. And just being halfway through a novel is not a very exciting place to be, <laughs> you know, in, in the slog. I was just getting nothing done anyway. And I actually found it kind of spruced me up a little to uh, diversify, to start working on some other things that I'm a little more, they're newer and they're fresher, so they feel a little exciting. But it's like, okay, to get to those, I've got to work on the novel first. You know, it's almost like slingshotting yourself around a planet or using, like, tension in a good way, like negative tension in a way of, like, I would rather work on these new things that seem a little more exciting but to get there I've got to work on the novel first and you know just using that that little sense of pressure to kind of force me to push me into it so one of them is just a little text-based video game that I've been I had ideas for it on and off over the past few years it's very very simple just a conversation basically that you choose which options in the conversation that you want so there's that, and there's this uh, much, much shorter book, more of a novella, I guess. This idea that I had a couple of years ago that I love so much about these two girls who are stranded on an island, and it's your basic sort of Lord of the Flies type of survivalism situation. But it's going to be set in the future, so part of their like crash pack of their survival gear is basically just a machine that makes food. So they don't have to worry about food, so it's entirely psychological survival. I don't know if I brought that up before. I might have, but I like the idea that it's like survivalism, but they don't need to go hunting. It's not hatchet. You know, they don't have to worry about physical survival. It's entirely mental survival. And one of the kids is going to basically start going crazy, and it's up to the other kid to try to figure out what to do. And a, a kind of weird little breakthrough I had with it, which is this is all like optional, I could change this, but I was writing notes for it, just real quick notes, so they were just in lowercase, and I realized I really like that, you know, it's like the E.E. E. Cummings thing of not capitalizing the first letter of words. I started writing it like that, and, uh, and it just looks cool. It looks, it's sort of like what it makes me think of is if you've ever seen Japanese shoujo comics, like girls comics, the like romance relationship comics, a lot of times the art style they use is like an extremely thin line and a lot of white space. So it's not like when you think of Dragon Ball or Akira and the speed lines and you know that sort of kinetic energy, it's the opposite. Everything is very still and quiet and yeah, just these thin spidery lines and white space and you know just calmness. And I always loved that look. And this kind of feels like the equivalent of that on a page. Even just little stuff, like when I uh, use quotation marks, I just use a single comma. 
not a comma, what is that called? You know, the comma that goes <laughs> above, before an S. That's weird, I can't think of that word. But I mean, commas close enough, because in England they call them inverted commas. So I'm using a single inverted comma rather than two, just to keep everything very... It just makes it seem more slight and more... I don't know, just like fairy tale-ish and just like a weird little thing. I don't know. But it's one of those things that like if some editor saw that and was like, what the shit is this fucking shit? <laughs> you know? It's easy to change. So those are my three little projects. The working on a little video game, working on this little novella, and still my big fat novel. And I guess the main thing I kind of want to talk about is I had this cool kind of breakthrough with the big novel that just kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, was it just yesterday or two days ago that I figured this out? But it was so neat and so unexpected where one of the big things that I learned from my last book that I wrote, the nonfiction book that I wrote, is the importance of plowing forward. Like, I've heard people say that, but it's one of those things, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to learn any lesson until you do it yourself, you know? Like, I was always the kind of person that would write a chapter and then revise that chapter and revise that chapter and revise that chapter and make it as good as I could possibly make it and then move on to the next chapter. And that sense of slogging, that lack of speed, was I couldn't get to the end. You know, it would always burn me out and burden me down and stress me out too much. Like, is this good enough? And I just wouldn't finish anything. So what I do now is much more don't worry about the first draft, you know, like hobble out this version of a chapter that might really suck, but it's okay. Then just move on to the next chapter. Go back at the end. Go back later through all this stuff. And, uh, and it's one of those weird little sort of fallacies anyway, like the idea that if I did revise a chapter after I finish it, if I revise it five times and then move on, at the very end of the process, you know, six months later, a year later, two years later, I'm still not going to like that chapter, you know? Like, if I take the chapter that I just wrote one rough draft of, and I take the chapter that I revised six times, neither of them is right, <laughs> you know? Uh, they're both going to have to be revised more. So why? Why do it? And wait till the end, you know? Like, why burden myself down trying to revise something as I go when... It's just not going to fit within the whole either way. It's this weird little, yeah, like this weird little intellectual fallacy of like, okay, I fixed that part. That part's all good. That's ready to go. But it's not. It's still a mess. It's never going to work. It's like not until things are done and you can get a, an overview of the whole thing is the only time that your fucking edits are going to stick. So yeah, it's better to just keep moving, keep moving. But one of the things that was happening by keep on moving, keep on moving is my my story, if you recall, it's about an alien girl who is uh, stranded on the space station of a different alien species and just having a hard time getting along with them. And I write her basically normal. Just I try not to use too many specific idioms that would just fit with human beings, and I try not to use too much slang that fits with 21st century North America. But I do have her talk basically normal, like basically like us, like, you know, we're, she's the main character, we're the reader, we're supposed to understand her tone and where she's coming from, and it's not supposed to be confusing. 
Whereas the aliens, their whole thing is that they're supposed to be confusing. But I didn't want to push that too hard because that's the kind of thing that I really find can be really annoying really easy. Like when a character is written with an accent, you know, like if you write like a southern character with a southern accent, it's like it needs to be the lightest little touch. You can literally just drop a G occasionally and put in an apostrophe. That's the word I was looking for, apostrophe. And even that might be too much, you know, like it's just, it's so easy to just completely derail something by like writing phonetically. It's just like, it's death. (laughs) It's really almost always terrible. It works a little better with weird stuff like train spotting, where the whole thing is written phonetically in Scottish. But if there's just like one character that like, oh, this guy's the hillbilly and you write him like that. Oh man, I I, I hate that. (laughs) I don't like that at all. So I didn't want to do that. Like I didn't want my aliens to, I don't know. I just, I just wasn't clear, I guess, on how to express in written form the fact that they're speaking through translation software and that they just have different physiology and different cadence and different way of speaking and different, you know, a whole different language. So I mostly just didn't touch it. I mostly just wrote them kind of stiff. And I realized as I was doing it that I'm like, this really isn't good enough. Like, I'm just kind of writing them like data from Star Trek, you know? I'm just not using contractions. Everything's a little stiff. Everything's a little formal. And I have the protagonist just mention once in a while how annoying she finds the way that they speak. And questions like, I wonder how accurate these translations even are. Are they really this annoying? Or is it just that, you know, the software isn't working? But the reality of how these characters were written is just just a little stiff, just a little awkward. And not really pleasant. Like, I don't know, I just didn't like it. I'm like, I know this isn't what I want, this isn't right. But that's a perfect example of, let's not get bogged down. Let's not get stuck. Because then what would I have done? I mean, I've been working on this book for fucking months. Just put it on the back burner till I think of a way for the aliens to talk and then not do anything for three months and maybe not come up with anything anyway, you know? Like, again, perfect example of how I might have acted in the past when I never got anything done, as opposed to now, where it's like, that's not important. That doesn't matter. Just get something down. Just get the basic communication of what these aliens are meant to be saying down and I can worry about the tone and the style of how I want them to be presented later. So then months and months later here we are. When did I start that book? In like October or November and it's August now so it's been a a good good ass run coming up on a year and you never know where inspiration is going to hit. So I'm in Montreal. I went to French school when I was a kid, and I'm just interested in French because uh, my vocabulary is bad. I have a hard time talking to people in French because I forget the words, but I've got good pronunciation and, you know, a good sense of the basics, and I can read stuff, which is great. uh, Montreal is a relatively English city, but all the signage is in French. It's just neat. It's really cool because I can read it, you know, it's the one other language that I can read. And it's just interesting, you know, it draws me back to when I was a kid and weird memories of that. 
And it's always interesting to just to translate two languages. Like, like there is no way to literally translate things between English and French most of the time. You know, it's just, it's not quite right. It's like if I see a French phrase, I can tell you what it means in English. But if I tried to tell you exactly what it means with the real spirit of what it means, suddenly it's like a long sentence that still doesn't quite explain, you know? I'm glad I know at least one other language, just to have some sense of that, of how different cultures work and different languages and how one gets to the other. And sometimes there's really weird examples, like there was this beer, Alpine beer, that the English slogan was, you have to live here to get it. And in French, usually the French version of a saying is longer, but in this case it was ici on la. I-C-I-O-N-L-A. The shortest thing ever. And it just means, we got it here. <laughs> you know? It's around here. We got it in this place. This is the place where, where it is. We got it here. Ici on la. And I was like, that is so weird. What a weird little thing that ici on la is even a sentence. Is even French. That sounds like I could be in Bangkok or something. Ici on la. So just because I'm interested in French stuff, I presume I was searching languagey shit on YouTube, who knows? Maybe even just the fact that uh, all the ads and stuff have been in French or that my Google position is in Montreal, who knows? But one of my recommended YouTube videos that came up was French slang versus Parisian French. It was kind of a weird video, it wasn't really, because it was, it was Canadian French slang versus Parisian proper French. The two things aren't really even equivalent. I'm not really totally sure what the point of that video was, but I watched it, you know, it's kind of interesting. And I went down to the comments and yeah, people commented on that of like, why are you, what is this video? This is weird. <laughs> it's slightly interesting, but it seems like it's a basic premise is a little off. And I saw somebody mention Verlon and they said like, man, yeah, I'm from Quebec. But the first time I heard two Parisian people talking Verlon, I was fucking really confused. I had no idea what was going on. So I was like, Verlon, what is Verlon? I've never heard of that. So I looked it up and it is the coolest fucking thing ever. It's this French slang that they use in France that's been around a while because uh, the examples that I saw were all from, it's this movie from the 90s called uh, La Heche, I think it's called, but the, the hate or the hatred this black and white movie that I've, I've seen the movie but I never clued into this when I watched it where it's this slang that they use where they invert the two syllables of a word like the name Verlan is because the French word for backwards is l'envers it just means the reverse or the back of to turn backwards to turn inside out so they take l'envers and switch it to Verlan but even that, it's so weird because French has got so much ornamental bullshit, you know? It's one of these, like, way too old languages with way too much... I heard a, a linguist describe it once as, like, like a gargoyle on the side of a building. Like, it has no function. It's just weird. If anything, it could fall off and kill somebody. <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be there. It's not helpful. That's what the French language is. It's filled with shit that makes no sense and isn't helpful and isn't useful. Like in the word l'envers, it's really le envers, so it's l apostrophe envers, and there's an s at the end that you don't pronounce. 
So in the case of Verlon, they left in the L apostrophe and they dropped the S, but they could have left it in like it either way. And it gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of options. And, and it's just weird because it's just suddenly it's a new word that if you hear someone just sprinkling those words, it's like a cockney rhyming slang or something. It's going to make no sense. It's going to be super bizarre. But when you know how they construct it, it's really, really obvious and really easy. Although then there's also cases where like they uh, took like a word for police and inverted it. But then over the course of time, the police started to realize that that meant police. So they inverted it again into a third word because again, there's so much ornamental shit inside French words that you can pull from that if you flip something once and flip it again, it's not going to go back to how it was the first time, you know? It's so neat. It is so cool. I had never heard of this before and I was just like super interested in it. And that's when I had the idea. I was like, whoa, would that work for English? Like, could I use this as a way to make the language of my alien characters more alien and more difficult to parse and more weird? But I tried and it just... It just doesn't work. It's It sounds like, uh, I don't know, it's almost like Pig Latin or something. Like, it just sounds too much like an English word that you've just fucked with. <laughs> you know, it sounds like kind of goofy, kind of silly. In English, it really didn't work. But just that I was in that mindset and thinking about this stuff, I went back to some of the old chapters, particularly like the main... There's really two main characters in my story. There's the girl who is the... Uh, the one stranded on the station, and her liaison. And the idea with the liaison guy is he is like a xenoethnographer or whatever. Like, he's much more familiar with other species. So he realizes how awkward his talking is, and he knows how to work his way around the translator, basically. He knows what to say to make his words come out the other end more or less legible. So he's much more legible. I haven't messed with his dialogue much. A little bit, I'm gonna, but... But where this was really handy is early in the book, she before she gets assigned to this guy, it's just this this group of administrators that she has to meet with that don't know shit about dick. They don't know anything about other species. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> and they have no sense of the translator and how well it works or how well it doesn't work or how they're coming off or anything. So I took the idea of the, the Verlan idea and started looking at their dialogue and I'm like okay that doesn't work I can't just flip things around it just it's not that's not gonna be any better but then I started just taking long words and cutting them in half instead of flipping them let's just take out half let's just take out the first half of a long word let me see if I can find an example okay so just as little examples instead of procuring if they say curing curing a device is difficult Instead of recognize, cognize. That almost means the same thing anyway, but it just sounds weird. We do not cognize it as a need. Or I guess I didn't always take off the front of the word, sometimes the end. Like recurring, just as recur, it means almost the same thing. But instead of we've recognized recurring themes, if they say we cognized recur in the writing of your people, it... You know, it still makes sense, but it's weird. It's just like, that's not the right way to say it. That's, you know, you have to, uh, you have to not listen too close. You have to just kind of take in their whole 
phrase to get the meaning of what they are trying to say. And it's such a simple little thing. So I did that. I cut a lot of the words in half, the big words, and then just took out some small joiner words, like just some things that we would say to just make a conversation flow more naturally. Just take some of those out, which is, you know, similar to like if you just talk to someone on earth who speaks a different language. Like uh, when I was a barista in Vancouver, the first time, way back in the mid-2000s, we had uh, people from South Korea, from China, and from Japan. And it was interesting to talk to them because they all had their different form of English. But, you know, uh, I guess a common thing with stilted or, uh, you know, broken English is just you don't have all the little flow words between stuff. So taking out some really short words and taking some of the big words and cutting them in half, suddenly it's this really strange staccato dialogue coming out of these aliens. But it still follows the basic form of an English sentence because I wrote it all out as, you know, as just data talking, as a robot language, you know, as just stiff normal dialogue first and then chopped pieces out of it. And I think that worked really well. I think if I had tried to write this dialogue from the jump in some weird style, that's where I think you could easily get that, like, you know, you don't want to take someone out of it. You don't want people to think, like, oh, this is some writer trying to write weird alien dialogue, you know? <laughs> you just don't want that. Where the way it is now, it still kind of flows. It's still, like, you have to think about what it actually means but it's easy not to stop and think about it because it still basically flows right it still seems like they're saying something and then my character just responds normally because she knows what they're saying we have cognized a recur in your writing you know <laughs> and it's like what does cognize a recur in your writing what do you fucking mean but she just says like oh yeah that's right tell me all about it then mr smart guy and it worked so well. It's just so neat. And it's just, and it came just so out of nowhere. Like the fact that I went to French school for so many years and I'd never heard of Verlan. And I just happened to because I happened to click on a YouTube video and then I happened to go into the comments and then I happened to see that one comment and then that led me down this rabbit hole. And then I didn't even actually use that technique. It just gave me an idea for how to chop up some language. Just so cool. So cool. And, uh, just a neat little lesson, I think, that it's like, yeah, everything doesn't need to be figured out right away. You know, I've spent the last eight months writing this stiff alien dialogue that I didn't like. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not good. This is not how it's going to be, but whatever. Like, I'll figure it out later. That's not important right now. And then just one day out of the blue, bing, bing, bang, here's the answer. And it's, uh, I, I like it so much. Like, it really worked out good it worked out real well and then for the uh the main alien i'm still doing the same thing but way way less you know like just very occasionally toss in a half word or a, a stiff transition between things and and it was yes yeah, just good it's real good and i guess it's also just comes back to the value of the process of like you know this isn't something you can work on in a traditional sense like writing a book is not the same as building a brick wall putting in more time will not necessarily get you more results like how do I research that how do I 
Like, what if I was like, fuck this, I'm gonna figure out how to make this alien speech work. What do I even research? How do I do that, you know? <laughs> like, it's an alien translator. There is no, there is no guideline for that. There's no rules. Maybe I could have forced myself somehow. Like, I just, I don't know, you have to just be a weird person to believe that's the kind of thing that could be forced. And whatever comes out the other end is just gonna be weird, like... I don't like the idea of being antagonistic toward my own book. Like, I don't like the idea of it feeling like the enemy that I have to attack. <laughs> you know? Again, the process. I want to be happy with the process. And as long as I'm happy with the process and I go back to the process every day, then the process will eventually complete. So I guess that's the main thing I wanted to say for this episode. Although I'll throw in one more quick little thing about the process <laughs> is... Maybe this actually might sound like it contradicts a little bit, but hey, that's fucking life. That's how it is. But speaking of the process, and I guess particularly this summer, how I was saying it was so hot. And uh, as much as I complained about the weather in Vancouver in the winter, it is much more conducive to writing. The gray, rainy day is like much more natural to go to a coffee shop and do a bunch of writing. Summertime, super hot, super sweaty. It was tough to, uh, you know, keep motivated some days. But one thing I noticed, I mean, this whole winter, you know, I spent six months in Vancouver and now three months in Montreal. And in this time, I don't know very many people in Vancouver and I know nobody in Montreal. So, you know, I saw my friends Doug and Vince here and there in Vancouver and uh, here in Montreal, my friend Brad came to visit. So I see people a little, but not a ton. It's been a long slog. I'm going back to Toronto next month and that's where I know a bunch of people. But one thing I noticed, you know, like spending this much time on your own, it's like a weird thing to do. It's not something most people are set up to be able to do or would ever want to do. <laughs> and I don't think, I haven't come up with any world shattering observations, but, but you do kind of start to drift back a little. Like you do get a little more of a bird's eye view of human beings and what they do and how they work. Because so much of our interpretation of the world is just socially based, you know? There's the actual world and then there's the social world. And, you know, when you're tied into your community and your job and your family and your friends, like your social world just is overwhelming. You can't see past it. Where when I've just been just sort of taking a step back and just kind of watching people. And one of these kind of conclusions that could be completely wrong, but what it seems like to me is when somebody's angry, you know, like when they're walking down the street and they're, they get angry because someone bumped into them, you know, or, or even if you're just on the internet and you're yelling at somebody on Twitter or whatever, when people are, are angry or <laughs> losing their fucking temper about something, the feeling I've started to get is just that that's a person without a leader. Because like the more I look at just the overall behavior of people, the animal side is just very hard to deny. Like, we are just tribal people. I've brought that up before in this podcast, like how scary it is to walk through a dark forest at night because we're tribal. We're supposed to be connected. We're not supposed to be on our own. Like, this has been weird as shit that I've spent nine months by myself. It's very unusual. There's nothing... This shouldn't even be possible. And North American society in general has just moved away from tribal life and toward individual life. And uh, I just don't think people fit with that mostly. You know, they're just, they're not happy. They don't 
people don't really want to be free necessarily. I think they would much rather have a leader, just not a bad leader. You know, they just want a leader they can trust. They just want someone to tell them what they're supposed to do. Every day is not necessarily supposed to be a, a journey of self-directed fucking mega individuality. It's supposed to be, what's my job in my tribe? What's my job today? What am I supposed to do? Someone tell me what to do. And when there's no sense of direction, when there's no one to lead them, people get upset. Like when you see somebody yelling at, you know, a, a car that almost hit them on the street, like too much, like really getting mad. Or you see somebody on Facebook fucking going on a long screed. Like just imagine if that person were in a clear group, you know, they had a clear leader, they had a clear direction. Suddenly it's hard to imagine them getting upset like that because they would just accept whatever happened, whatever is agitating them, internalize it, and realize that it's not appropriate to get mad. It's not appropriate to be disruptive and weird because that's going to hurt their group. That's going to hurt their mission. And it's just that they're not on a mission. They don't have a group. They're just, they're just a drifted sea, and they're upset, and they're angry and weird and lost. So I'm noticing that about other people, and I'm like, all right, now let's bring that back to me because it's not like I'm so different 99.99% identical to everyone else these birds are loud so when I'm just kind of you know uh, resisting when I'm walking along and I'm like oh I don't want to write I don't want to go to the coffee shop I don't want to pull out my phone I don't want to write oh it feels like such a burden it feels like so much work that I don't want to do blah 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 I started kind of applying that leadership mindset to the situation. And it's like amazing how well it works. Now, this is a weird situation because I don't have a leader. I don't have anyone to tell me what to do. I got to lead myself. I got to be my own leader. But I've noticed that that kind of works. If I just, instead of like, if I'm just sort of walking down the street and I just feel kind of adrift and my mind is thinking back to like some old argument I had with somebody and I'm just feeling weird and discombobulated, if I just kind of bring the leadership mindset to it, kind of like divide my mind, I guess, where I have the side of my mind that's just floating around and drifting, doesn't know what it's doing. If I partition off another part of my mind and say, okay, I'm the leader now. I'm the leader, you're the soldier. Here's what you gotta do, soldier. This is your job for today. This is the journey, this is the mission. You gotta walk down this street, you gotta march down this street, you gotta get to the coffee shop, you gotta sit down and you gotta work on all three of these projects. You gotta do all three. That's what you gotta do today. And it's just weird to notice in my own mind that I don't rebel against that, you know? I'm just like, all right, that's fair, let's do it. You know? Like it's comforting. It's like such a, such a weird little thing. But yeah, so I think that wraps up today. I just wanted to go on my long extended ramble about Verlon because I thought that was really interesting. And just the quick little, the quick little tool tip, <laughs> quick little, if you're just like, are having a tough time motivating yourself, just drill sergeant yourself and see if it works. Because for me, it really does. Got your laptop in that book bag? Well, just think of that book bag as your fucking rucksack. And now you just gotta, oh, is it hot out? Are you sweaty? Are you fucking panting and exhausted we'll just keep marching because when you look at it that way 
It's not even a big ask. It's actually really easy. Yeah, I can keep marching. That's no problem. I can get to the coffee shop. I can do that. Oh, you want me to sit down and look through these things and work on them? I can do all that. I have all those skills. And just that sense that you're doing it for something. That it's your little job. It's your little mission. Like we're just little ants. We're just mammals. <laughs> well, not that ants are mammals, but you know what I mean. We're just animals. And it's a, it's a nice idea, this North American thing, that we're all just... Uh, super individuals like floating fucking brains floating around thinking our way through everything but it's not how we are it's not what works so to put yourself in more of a tribe based sort of mindset man it just it just works it just washes away a lot of bullshit it's like why am i thinking about this other thing why am i upset about this other thing none of that is important this little mission is important this little job is important this is what i got to do today and speaking of, that's what I got to go do right now. So thanks for listening. Uh, I'll see you again whenever, somewhere in the beautiful future, if I have some more shit to ramble about. Uh, all my shit is at keithcourage.com. Thanks again, and uh, goodbye. Oh, wait, oh, I almost forgot. Songs, right? I've been doing a lot of... I, I just I forgot that I do songs at the end of these. For Song of the Day, it doesn't relate to uh, writing in any way. It's just this guy, Brad Sucks, who uh, doesn't put out albums very often. He's from Ottawa, I think. He was kind of one of these like early success stories of uh, putting out your music yourself, being a self-published kind of internet guy. And I always really liked him. He's got three albums, a bunch of cool shit, and he's just started working on a new album. Got a Patreon, putting out new shit. So, uh... This song is called Fun Guy. It's just a it's just a real good song. All right, cool. I'll see you in the future.
still be 